Good evening. That worked, right? Okay. Uh, every time I, uh, I've seen uh, Pastor Brian deal with his thing, the, the headpiece, and, and I've, he's given me an opportunity to speak here. Uh, this will be the third time on a Sunday evening, but I always think every time uh, you deal with this, I think of Miss Heather one, about three or four years ago. Uh, she, well, we were back, we were in here, and uh, it was the end of the service, and for some reason, we were praying, Pastor Brown was leading us in prayer, and uh, everybody was coming up, and they were fiddling with this, and they were getting it, and they were putting it in and everything, and Miss Heather, who, of course, was the entertainer, she put it in, went like that, dropped it, in the pocket, she was done, like, okay, what's next, you know, it was... So every time I, I, I have to fiddle with that thing, I, I think of that. Um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 139 this evening. And uh, before we get uh, into it, just uh, some things that, that I had thought and pondered if, uh, in, in studying for this. If I were to ask you to write a story, any story you like, what part of that story would you not be aware of? And of course, the answer is nothing. The fact of the matter is, without you, there is no story. There's no setting or location until you write it down, until you create it, right? There's no characters in this story until you create them. And even when you create them, they do not lead to action. They do nothing until you write them into action. Uh, so for you, there are no surprises in, in, your, in the story. Uh, I saw an interview with Stephen King uh, one time that I, I just found interesting. He said uh, that people were always asking him, where do you get, get, get your ideas, or more to the point, what happened to you in your life that messed you up so bad? <laughs> and they, uh, and he said, you know, people seem to think that 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 right that there's an idea well that I can go to and dip into anytime I need or want a new story. And and this is the part I found interesting. He said, I always looked at writing like archaeology. The story's there. I'm just trying to uncover as much as I can for the reader. Um, psalm 139 is a wonderful psalm where we see the finite mind of David, uh, a character of creation, considering and describing an infinite God, the author and creator. David, the mighty king of God, the mighty king of God's chosen people, Israel. He knows he's not the author of this life, but he's marveling and considering and pondering the God who is. So let's look at 139 here together. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down 
and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, were, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, the men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those that hate, who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for, for this opportunity. Thank you for our church, our church family, which uh, I love dearly. And thank you for Pastor Brian and, uh, and all of the guidance mentoring the things that he's done for all of us in teaching us and leading us in your word. And thank you for, uh, ultimately, for your word and your son, Jesus Christ. We, I pray that, uh, that the thoughts and message that received this evening are not my own, but yours. And I pray that, uh, that we all feel blessed by your immense, intricate uh, authorship of creation. These things we ask in your name, amen. The book of Psalms is uh, actually divided into five parts or books, and I, I mention that because it, it sort of lends some, some perspective to Psalm 139. Uh, the sections or books are divided into the first two uh, deal mostly with King David and uh, 
and his, his rent from the time of anointing until he is uh, uh, on the throne. Uh, the third book or section deals primarily, you, in roughly, you, as you're reading through it, it goes through his sons, uh, the, the people who followed in the line of David uh, after him up to the exile, up to being exiled out of the land. And then the fourth book is the, is the book of exile, and it's, it's, it's psalms and things that deal with exile and reflections of God and his, uh, his glory, his might, and his ultimate promise to the people, to the covenantal people. Uh, book five, then, is a look forward to that new uh, covenant, that new delivered, that new heaven and new earth that is promised uh, to David uh, through his line, which ultimately we know is, is Christ, but then even uh, to the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Psalm 139 is, is uh, in that last book. It's in the book five, in the looking forward to that promise, to that, that promise fulfilled. And it's in that context that we see David pondering uh, the three things that, that we've taught the kids. You've taught the kids at home. We've taught the kids here. The, the omniscience of God, the uh, omnipresence of God, and the, and the omnipotence of God. Uh, in this psalm, we, uh, David seems to ponder and consider all three, and so we're going to take it like that kind of in sections here this evening. And while it's pretty straightforward, I think it's, I think it's important for us to, to consider these things along with David and meditate on them and rejoice in these things about our Lord and Savior. So verse 1 through 6, or 1 through 5, I'm sorry. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before the word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. This is an intimate knowledge here in, in verse 1. The searching, the Hebrew word here for searching is Chakar, did I say that right? Okay, uh, but it it means to dig, and and it was related to uh, like uh, digging and mining for for precious metals. Pre uh, uh, he discerns our thoughts. Here, you know, in verse two, you know when I sit down and when I rise up from the time that. Uh, Every movement, every singular movement that we make, he is aware of. You discern my thoughts from afar off. And I look through, um, I think so the King James says understands instead of uh, discerns. But there's that intimate knowledge, that intimate understanding, not just knowing it. And we'll see this throughout this psalm. And that's, that's what's so beautiful and wonderful about it, that it's not just knowledge it's just not a general knowledge i know harvey it's i know every fiber of, i know how harvey's put together 
I know his thoughts. I know, I, I understand those thoughts. You search out my path. The other translations that I looked through says, use discern also there, but scrutinize and observe. Am I lying down and acquainted with all my ways? And in this one, even though, even in verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. And we know from all of Scripture that our words matter. I mean, that's uh, Paul talks about that uh, uh, a couple of times. We can, our words can build up, they can tear down, but I think that's, that's why we are called to discernment because God's knowledge is so intimately complete that he knows the thoughts that milled around in our head even before we uttered a word. Sometimes we wish that weren't true. But in Hebrews uh, 4, verse 13, it says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. There is no escaping uh, God. And, and of course, as we, as we will see, he hems us in, encompasses, surrounds, or encloses. Uh, and of course, the hand of the Lord being prominent throughout the Psalms and all of Scripture as, as a as a thing of power, safety, used as a blessing or even a curse. But you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Charles Spurgeon said about this, uh, this passage, Behind us there is God recording our sins, or in grace blotting out the remembrance of them. And before us, there is God foreknowing all our deeds and providing for all our wants. We cannot turn back to escape him, for he is behind. We cannot go forward and outmarch him, for he is before. And in light of that, in thinking about that, just those, those verses, the response to all that he's considered is verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I mean, it's something that should, should blow our minds that the fact that we cannot comprehend the breadth and the depth of God's knowledge is eternally reassuring to the believer. It's amazing. It reminds me of Romans in chapter 11, verse 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are the judgments and how inscrutable his ways. There we've seen the omniscience of God. All knowing. In verse 7 through 12, that causes uh, David to consider the omnipresence of God. 
was, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hands shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There's a... When I was in college, there were three people from my county that went, uh, decided to go to Murray State University. Of course, I'm from northern Kentucky, so Murray State University was five and a half hours away. And I was ready to go. I was young and eager, and I was ready to get out and, you know, be all independent. Right, but you're in college, so at best you're dependently independent because <laughs> you've still got your parents helping you. Uh, but I, I thought I was ready. What I realized was that I had led a very sheltered life. God had sheltered and protected me from a lot that I didn't know was going on in the world. that after my first semester, the three of us happened to go to the same church also. So the pastor wanted us to speak uh, one Sunday morning during winter break after our first semester, just seeing what college had been like for us, you know, how God had blessed us and, and everything. And, and uh, it worried me. It scared me to death because I didn't know what I was going to say. I had not seen... I had not seen a lot of God there. And I'd been a slacker as well. I mean, it wasn't just all around me. It was me too. For the first time in my life, there wasn't somebody telling me to get up on Sunday morning. If I slept in, nobody knew. Nobody cared. So I slept in. But that Saturday before <coughs> before we were to speak, I, I was sitting there in my room and, and just trying to figure out what in the world I was going to say, and I had no idea. And I just, I took my Bible and I just, just let it fall open to whatever it fell onto. It opened. Psalm 139. And as I scanned down the page, I fell on verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? As I was there in the warmth of, of my home with my parents, I realized for the past four months, I'd really been making my bed in a kind of Sheol there. It, it felt like it. It felt uh, not good. And when I didn't even know, that's, and, and that's the cool thing, that's the thing that I love about that. When I didn't even know what I wanted and what I needed, this is the passage that God led me to. He was there all along. He was with me every step of the way. And so as I, as I started uh, 
reading my Bible more from then on, uh, at least I realized I wasn't the only knucklehead in there, and there was a comfort in that. We see Jonah in chapter 1 of of Jonah uh, doing the same thing, but Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it, go uh, with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. How ridiculous is that? To even think it's possible. It's just amazing. There are the wings of the morning. Uh, taking the wings of the morning, of course, that it's the, the sun rising in the east. It's a reference to that. The uttermost parts of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea was often used uh, by them as in reference to the far west so from the east to the west no matter where I go and of course that implies everything in between right even there his hand will lead you and his right hand will hold you in Isaiah 43 10 uh, it says fear not for I am with you Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, with my righteous right hand. So now, in considering the omniscience and the omnipresence of God, and this sort of blends into it. I mean, there's there's a little of both here, but the... um, omnipotence of God from verse 13 on the first part of uh, verse 13 there that you have formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb the first part of that in the King James Bible says for thou hast possessed my reins the Hebrew word there for reins or inward parts is kiliah which actually refers to the kidneys. But metaphorically, it means your innermost parts. Knowing that knitting, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then down there in verse uh, 13, in just a couple verses there, we see woven together in verse 15 intricately woven in the depths of the earth depths of the earth also being a metaphor for that dark the womb or what have you but that is not a blanket knowledge and how many of us I'm assuming there's at least a, a, a few that crochets or knits right yeah, you do. Yes, Harvey does. If you need something done, call on Harvey. Uh, my mother does. My grandparents, uh, uh, the girl's aunt does. That's, that's cool language. Man, that's awesome. Because it's not just, I understand this blanket or I understand this quilt. To knit and to weave 
to be the knitter, the weaver. You know which went over which. You know the order. Does that make sense? You know how it was made. You know what you used to make it. Being fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about the things in just in our bodies. The things that you don't have to think of or ask to happen. Hair growing. Whatever. It's amazing. And my soul knows it. Fearfully, wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. There is no one that studies human anatomy, that studies the intricacies of the body. If they're honest with themselves, they have to yell that God, your works are wonderful. I mean, there's no way this, this just happens. And then the, the so it, this was just uh, interesting to me in, in my studies. In verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. That word substance, the Hebrew word there, golem, it's golem, I'm sorry, it's golem. Uh, that's the only place that it, it's found in the, in the Bible. And it means rolled together like a ball, as a ball, like an, un, uh, uh, an unformed mass, like an embryo. That's the only place that it's used. Now, if you have the King James Version, the uh, word substance is used back there in verse 15, but that's a different word in the original text. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. I have a co-worker. His name is uh, Ralph. And four years ago, uh, he and his wife lost their four-year-old son. We've talked about that several times. We've worked together. We've, we've gotten to be good friends uh, o over the years. And he's talked to me a little bit about that. And I've, you know, we, we've had conversations about it. The very weekend after Wayne and Vicky lost Lucas. 
I worked with him. And I told him, I owe you an apology. And uh, he, he asked me why. And I said, because I never understood. We had had conversations uh, for a couple of years, on and off. But I never understood how much there were no words. There, there were no words to console, help. It just didn't matter. I say that to say this. He told me, you don't owe me an apology. God gave my son four years. And I was there for every day of it. And that rang true. That, that really struck a chord with me as I was studying for this passage. Because while we don't know, we, the finite minds and in, in, in creation, uh, do not know. And while Ralph and his family were shocked and grieved four years ago, God wasn't. And there has to be some reassurance in that. That God does have a plan. And if anything, that Psalm 139 shows us, I think, I feel that it is very, that it is that. We go on down to verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And you think about that. Even in our body. And, and, and again, words aren't going to adequately uh, uh, describe these things. But as we sit and ponder them. There are intricacies in our body. Unimaginable, there's an unimaginable wealth, well of detail in one body. And every single point from the mind of God. Isn't that amazing? And that's not just one of us. And we're not carbon copies. It's for every one of us. Every single point, every single thing about you that makes you you. Did not happen by chance. That was a thought that God had for you. And that carries with, that's not only wonderful there, it's, it's, it's precious. It says it's precious. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Why? Because that carries with it an, an embedded infinite 
commitment. God is not going to take His creation formed with His hand and just let it go. It's not going to be, he's not going to leave it to its own devices. He's not going to leave it to chance. And he's not going to leave us to ultimate dis- extinction. He is so interwoven and knitted into his creation that he will not let it go. As a matter of fact, if he did, he's not an absentee father. He's not a mad scientist. He's, he's not, he's in it. And the fact of the matter, the way we know that, the way we have that assurance is that we're still here because if he took his hand off of any of it for one minute, it wouldn't just fall apart. It would come flying apart. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And then in verse 19 through 22, David is very much aligning himself with that God, with that author, and with that creator. And it almost seems like it's a little out of place. He shifts gears here a little bit. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O man of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now that sounds like a lot of harsh language in some of that for in a time when we're supposed to be kinder, gentler Christians and more understanding and, and everything. but he's right to align himself. And, and if, if nothing else, this is, is, a, is not only a, a call for us, but a reminder. You can't ride the fence. You have to pick a side. He aligns himself with God. Do I not hate those who hate you? Right? But... Because we are fallen, fallen uh, creatures and because we, we do have that sin nature still and we battle that, we have to make sure that, that our motives are tested. You know, you can't just shun everybody that's, uh, that's not thinking like you think or not doing what you want them to do or what have you. You know, it's in uh, one day... Uh, a few years ago, John Bevel shared something very, very uh, awesome with me one day. I was having a bad day. For, he he uh, works for a, a pharmaceutical company. I work for the railroad, and they're both evil. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but we were both having a bad day, or I was having a bad day, and, I was, and, and so I know I can go to John and kind of vent to him. And you know the thing he said? He just stopped me. He said, why are you shocked when sinners act like sinners? I was like, okay, fine. You know. And that kind of deflated me. 
but it was it, it, it's rung true so many times throughout my life, and I'm thankful to him for that. But we have to test why. What's the, uh, the reason, the cause for the hatred of the anger? Is it for love of God? Hatred of sin? Or is it because we want to please others? Or is it for some weird hypocritical pretense? I mean, it's what's the reason behind that? If you're going to... Uh, if you're going to side with with the Lord, with Yahweh, and take a stand and say, your law's my law, your word's my word, your friends are my friends, your enemies are my enemies, but we have to be careful how we handle that because we're, like I said, falling. And the perfect example of this, of course, this is David saying this, and we're not in David's times. There's a context here. He had enemies surrounding and encamping him, uh, encompassing him all, all around. But in Psalm 35, he, uh, let's turn over there real quick. The one difference between David's hatred for the wicked and the people who hated him is very clear here. Because he's going through... uh, Take hold of a shield, draw a spear and javelin against my pursuers. Save my soul. Uh, let them be put to shame and dishonor. But then we go down, uh, starting in verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft, but I When they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. The difference between David and everybody else was He lamented their wickedness. He hated it. But he lamented over that wickedness. He wanted the wickedness gone. But he mourned for the soul. In considering all of this, The difference between uh, the difference between his his hatred for the wicked and their their hatred of him in contemplating everything that Yahweh, the Lord, is and does and where he is leads him leads us to verse twenty three and twenty four. His response. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is not proud boasting. It is not uh, 
David is not saying this because David is faultless. But as we've read through there and as we think and consider these things, he's saying it because he's faultless beyond his own knowledge. Right? He's he's faulty beyond his own knowledge. There's things milling around that he doesn't, that he might not be aware of. But he knows God does. And he's willing. He has that desire to submit to the scrutiny of God. And confidence that God will lead him in the way that leads to everlasting life. There's a, a quote by John Calvin. Said, he, he said once, we are ashamed to let men know and witness our delinquencies but we are as indifferent to what God may think of us as if our sins were covered and veiled from his inspection. I think that rings true for us uh, more often than we realize. In the final analysis, there's a joyful reassurance and a warning in in Psalm 139. Uh, I think it, it... as we ponder and consider more and more and in, in, in day after day, uh, I think it's a reminder that God is always aware of us, each and every one of us. I think the challenge is, are we always aware of him? So, do you want to close this in prayer or do you want me to? Uh, let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for uh, all your blessings and all your uh, all the opportunities that you give us day after day, and the things uh, in heaven and earth to bestow your glory. Uh, we thank you so much for those things, and we pray that you will open our eyes to see them and be more readily aware of them, to recognize them, and to stop and be in awe of you, Lord. Thank you so much for these things and give us opportunities this week to uh, share the gospel and the glory of your name. Amen.